We were all younger then. Yeah. I was older then. I'm much younger now. How's everybody doing? Good, good. Can I just talk to you for a little bit? I'm a pastor. I just, I like to talk to people. You know, a lot of what I do is just talk to people. And, um, you know, I, I was, Pastor Sean told me that, you know, you're growing out of everything, growing services are getting full and everything. So when I came in here, I thought maybe they were just build a multi-purpose room over here <laughs> that they were going to start using for something. And then I realized who they put in it, Sean Landers. Now I understand why they built that. <laughs> Known Sean for a long time, too. Sean never grows old, does he? No. So I remember well, um, when, before I was on staff at Word Alive and had a relationship with him, and, and I did remember the Faith Life Seminars. So I had Brian come up and do a Faith Life Seminar at the church in Harlan. And so I said, hey, can you bring your worship team with you? And uh, so they always tell the story. So they bring the worship team up there, and, and uh, they, guys, they kind of set me up for it. They, so, they said, go ask Sean if he got written permission from his mom to come along with us. Because he looks so young, you know. But he's Sean never grows old. But anyway, that's my story I tell on him all the time. But, you know, while we were um, worshiping, the, the, the one song was talking about faithfulness. I just want to talk to you a little bit um, before I try to get into my message. I want to talk to you about the importance of faithfulness. Um, it, it's so critical. And, and really... Uh, um, it's, it's a characteristic of God. It's a character of God. Faithfulness is a character of God. And so uh, in 1990, the Lord called me to go to South Dakota to take this little broken down church. And I think I've said that this here before, so humor me if, if you've heard this before. But, you know, I, I was praying, Lord, send me south. Send me south. Send me somewhere south. So he sent me to South Dakota. I'm much more specific in my prayers now with God. I think God just did that as a joke. Oh, you want to go south? Okay, we'll send you south, South Dakota. So we went there to South Dakota to take over this church with about a dozen people in it. It was really a lot of issues, a lot of problems. They were in debt, extremely in debt, and uh, and all these things. And so um, I'll never forget... Um, I sat down with the board, and, and uh, they were going to pay me $150 a week. This was 1990, not 1890. $150 a week. And one of the board members accused me of coming for the money. <laughs> now, mind you, I was a supervisor for a power company. Territory supervisor for a power company making more than that a day. And they accused me of coming for the money. And so I learned early on in your life, one of the things, you, you always have shimmy eyes in your life. You know that? You know what shimmy eye was in the Bible? He was the grandson of Saul who, 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 who ran alongside of David when David was on his way on, on a God purpose. And, and shimmy eye was throwing rocks at him and cussing at him and things. And, and so I learned early on, you always have shimmy eyes in your life. When you, when you begin to follow the Lord, the devil always makes sure there's a shimmy eye, throwing accusations and rocks and all this stuff at you. And so you just you can't pay any attention to them, okay? You just got to keep on your journey. Just say, no, nah, I'm going to keep going here. And so we go to South Dakota and we take this little broken down church. And I mean, it was five years of blood, sweat, and tears. I quit the ministry more times in those five years than I ever have in my life. But what I never did quit was the calling. I quit the ministry, but I never quit the calling. I've been faithful to the call of God. And so I, I always say that I spent five years in South Dakota to discover the faithfulness of God. God is faithful. I don't know why. Somebody in here needs to hear this this morning. God's faithful. 
God is faithful. You can whip me, you can beat me, you can waterboard me, you can do whatever you want to me, but you will never, ever get me to say that God is not faithful because I know God and he's faithful. The Bible says he's faithful to all generations. He's not just faithful. He's faithful. His faithfulness will touch every generation in this house. No matter what you're going through, God's faithful. I can remember one time when we were there, I, I had bought this acreage and the land taxes were due. And I didn't have any money. I was making a whopping 150 bucks a week. And, and, and I used to be one of the world's best warriors. I mean, I was good at it. I practiced it often. And so I'm, I'm out walking in the pasture and I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm throwing everything out there. I'm like, well, God, if I don't pay my taxes, you know, uh, my name's going to be in the paper and people are going to know that I'm the pastor of this church and, and they're going to equate, well, he's pastor of a church, can't pay his taxes, God must not be, you know, I'm throwing everything at God that I can. And so we had this lake down behind, behind our, <clears throat> our house or our acreage <clears throat> and God said, you need to trust me that I'll be faithful to do what I said I would do as much as it, if I told you to go down there and, and throw your fishing pole in that lake and pull out one of those carp and believe that the money's going to be in, mouth, in the mouth of that carp. And so right there, I said, okay, okay, God, I'm just going to trust you. The next day, I got a check in the mail from somebody out of state who I barely even knew. And they put a little note in there and they said, God spoke to us the other day that we were supposed to send you this check for $1,200. And my taxes were $800. God spoke to them before I started whining. And he had already set in motion the provision before I even began to, to, to whine about this whole thing. The faithfulness of that, of God preempting and going, I know you're going to, but I've already got things. There, I'm telling you, for some of you, God's already got some things set in motion for your life. He's already got some things set in motion to provide for whatever it is that you need, whether it's emotionally, physically, financially, whatever it is. God is already, I'm telling you by the Spirit of God, God has already set in motion the provision for your life. The key to it is you and I being faithful, faithful to trust God beyond what we see or fear, feel or even know. And time and time again through that, Pastor Sean, I've seen God be so faithful. And I've, I've, I've had so many challenges in my life, but I've watched God be faithful. And so I'm just here to tell you this morning, for somebody, you need to know God is faithful and he is for you. He's for you. And so what you need to do is, is to seize on to this. God, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to trust you. I'm going to trust you beyond my feelings. I'm going to trust you. Beyond. That's what Proverbs 3 said. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not into your own understanding and knowledge him in all your ways. And he will direct your paths. I mean, there was a point in time where, where I just, I, I didn't know anything to do. I was so wore out and burned out. I didn't know what to do. I just, I wanted to quit the battle. Just was fight after fight after fight after fight. And I said, the only thing I knew was to hang on to the hem of Jesus' garment. That's what I say. I just hung on to the, to the like the woman with the issue, but she said, if I could just get a hold of his garment, I could just touch him. I just, that's all I knew to do. I didn't know anything else to do. I just grabbed a hold of the hem of Jesus' garment, so to speak, and let him drag me through the day and through the weeks. But my friends, I'm telling you, that's the best place I could have ever been.
being drugged by Jesus is a whole lot better than quitting. Because guess what? He won't quit on you. He said, even when you're faithless, I'll be faithful. Even when we are faithless, God will be faithful. Why? Because his heart burns for us. His heart burns for us. He says, I don't, I don't any longer call you a slave or servant. He says, I call you friend. I call you friend. That word friend in its definition means somebody that I'm intimate with, somebody that I'm very close with. We, we would call it like a marriage, that type of intimacy. And he says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I'm never going to leave you nor forsake you. I'm never going to let you forget about you. We are constantly on the heart of God. And for us to think that he would forget about us when we're constantly on the heart of God. Constantly on the heart of God. I don't know, but I, 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 I love that live, living knowing that I'm constantly on the heart of God. He's very intent. He's very intent on your life and my life. You know, sometimes we go through stuff. Sometimes things don't work out the way we thought they should. I've talked about that before. But here's what I know. God's faithful. I can't say that enough. God's faithful. I have so many need to hear that today. God's faithful. Amen. Okay, Aaron, man, come back up here. We're done. We're good. I'm good. I just preached myself happy. Now, there is a couple other things I want to share with you today. You know, um, let's, let's pray for us. Lord, thank you. First of all, thank you that you're here. Just the presence, your presence, Lord, is just, it's captivating. It's mesmerizing. It's transforming. And I pray today that you would help us, you would show, you would lead us into some audacious endeavors, even here this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. I do. I, I want to share with you some things. The title of my message. I'm not real good at titling messages. You know. I just. You ever find that? Just struggle with titling a message. Let's just. Let's just call it a message. You know. But I, I do want to talk to you about some audacious endeavors, and we're going to get into this. Um, there's some things that I've learned about life, and and um, storms and just different things that come along. You know, a year ago, throw that first picture up if you would. A year ago, a storm came through. This is my, my house, and this was a tree that was in my front yard. See that white bench around there? I, I built that for my wife for Mother's Day. And so I, I, the whole tree, fell, and that bench was never harmed. Thank God, because I'd have to build another one. <laughs> and I didn't make a blueprint of that one. I just built it as she went, you know. But, but that tree had been damaged a little bit before, and so I'd put cables up in the tree, and, and I'd these big long bolts through the tree and plates and holding it, and I really I was, trying to, I was trying to save that tree, you know? And it's, sometimes it's like life. Sometimes there's some things we're just, we're just trying to handle. We're trying to keep it as long as we can. But there's, sometimes there's just some things you just need to let go of, you know? And so the, that storm came through, and... And uh, so, you know, I had to have some guys come in and they cut the rest of the tree down and ground the stump out, you know. And, uh, and, and then so this last Arbor Day, I planted this tree. That one. That's called an Edith Brogue. It's a magnolia tree. And, um, but the only reason, the way that I could plant that tree was that the old tree had to be, everything had to be removed. The roots had to be ground out and all that stuff. 
And so um, this Edith Brogue. So consequent, everything at our house has a name. Anybody have that? Our cars have a name. Everything has a Plants have a name. Everything has a name. Why? I don't know. There's just certain things you don't question. Can I get an amen from you guys? There's certain things you just, you just go with it. Okay? I always say the wise man is like that little dog in the back window of a car that just goes like that. And so that's Edith. And so um, <laughs> um, Edith will grow to be about 25 feet-ish tall, 20, 25 feet tall, and 18 to 20 feet across, and it will, it will blossom these big, huge, white, beautiful flowers. I mean, it's amazing when they're full-grown. And, and, uh, but it'll, it'll take about 20, 25 years for that tree to mature. Now, I'm 65 years old. Chances are I may not get to see the tree in its full maturity. And when I was planting that tree, this, this quote that I had read some time ago came back to me. And this quote says this, society grows great when old men, so I qualify for this, a society grows great when old men plant trees whose shade they know they shall never sit in it. See, I planted that tree knowing this. I'm probably never going to get to enjoy the fullness of that tree. But you know what? I didn't plant that tree for me. I planted that tree for my wife and my children and my grandchildren. They'll get to enjoy it. See, if it was all about me, um, I probably wouldn't have you know, planted anything. I kind of liked the, you know, the barren thing, didn't have to mow around it, all that stuff, the practicality of it. But I planted that tree for someone else. And what I want to talk to you today about audacious endeavors is that there are things that God is calling us and desiring us to do, to encounter, to engage in that's not for us. And are you going to be willing to do something that's not for you? You know, I was mowing my lawn a, a, a couple of weeks ago, and I, I, I love mowing my lawn because that's when God and I have conversations. So as long as I can physically mow my lawn, I will mow my lawn because I don't know why it is. I think God likes the smell of cut grass. I don't know. He likes to see me sweat. I don't know. And so I, I was mowing the lawn, and I was thinking about some of these things and everything, and, and, and I felt like the Lord spoke to me, and he says, does it always have to be about what's in it for you? And then he asked me this question. He says, what's in it for me? What's in your heart for me? And then he said that what's in your heart for others? What's in your heart for the other generations? And I don't know about you, but it, it made me stop. I literally stopped, stopped the mower, and just stood there. I bet my neighbors thought, what's going on with him? I just, I stopped mowing, and I just, and I was just standing there thinking about that. As, as simple as that question is, I don't know about you, but it was profound in my heart. Because I had to really stop and say, what is in my heart that's not necessarily beneficial for me? Because we've become a culture that it's all about me. What's in it for me? I, I pastored for 25 years. And I, I know what I'm talking about. But people come on and they check church out. Why? I want to see what's in it for me. Guess what? Maybe you're coming to this church and there's nothing in this for you. But there's everything in you for this. Have you ever thought about that? Maybe God leading you to Journey Church isn't anything. Maybe you won't get sick of out of this. I believe you will because I know your pastors. But maybe God brought you here because there's something in you for here. 
Maybe there's something in you for her. For that generation. Maybe there's something in you for him. That may be why you're here. Maybe you're here for him. See, one of, one of the greatest things, one of the great impairments that I see in, in the body of Christ today is the segregation of the generations instead of the integration of the generations. I have one of my pastor friends who um, I think once a quarter what he does is he brings in all of the, uh, the, the freshmen through seniors, that group, and they have a dinner with the senior the 50 and over or 60 and over, whatever they are. And the stipulation, the requirements is that there can't be all senior high students at this table and all senior citizens at this table. I shouldn't say senior citizens, seasoned citizens. So there has to be X amount of, of, of senior high students with X amount of seasoned citizens. And he said it was, when they started doing this, he says, it was really amazing. He said, I walked through there one night, and here's what was going on. These high school kids were taking selfies, <laughs> showing, showing the senior. Well, that's not my phone. <laughs> <laughs> What's your code? <laughs> but they were there. I'll grab my phone. So they're there doing selfies, showing, showing the seasoned citizens how to do selfies. Why is that? Because God had spoken to him something about the importance of integrating the generations. Because each of those gener representative generations had something that they needed to learn to give to the other generation. I think that's awesome. And see, well, I, I work with a lot of young church planters and young uh, couples going into their first senior, you know, pastorate position and everything. So I work with a lot of, of, of young um, couples and, and, and individuals. And one of the things I tell them, I says, is find somebody who's done a whole lot more life than you have. And sit down and start talking to them. Because here's the thing, you might have the energy and gifting, and, and, and ideas, and all these things. But what you don't have is experience. And there's just some things of experience that you gotta glean from others. I am a product. I was just speaking to one of these young, young church planters recently, and I said, what do, you, what do you think attributes to longevity in your walk with God or in ministry and everything? And he, he threw some things out there, and they were okay. I said, but here's two things that I, that I believe for me that has allowed me to have a longevity with my 40 plus years of walking with Jesus and 30 plus, 30 whatever years of being in ministry. These two things. One is my encounters with God, my audacious endeavors, and two, the people that God strategically put in my life. Because I learned a long time ago, success is never achieved alone. Now we talk about that individually, but how often do we think about that way generationally? See, my generation won't be successful without that generation. Why is that? Because I can't fulfill my purposes, my call, because my call is to raise up the next generation of leaders. And so if I isolate myself from the subsequent generations, I fail the purposes of God. I've not been faithful. See, it's not all about me. It's about what's in me for the next generations. See, God has set you, God has, God has raised you up as a, as a church, as a, a representation of the kingdom of God upon the earth. What? Not just for you, but 
for liberty in the surrounding area. There's a portion of scripture I'm going to read to you. Um, it's about David. Go ahead and throw that first part of those. Look at this. So David assembled at Jerusalem all the officials of Israel, the officials of the tribes. He put up, brought all of his leadership together. Then verse 2 says, Then David rose to his feet and said, Hear me, my brothers and people. I had it in my heart to build a house of rest for the ark of the covenant of the Lord and for the footstool of God. So I made preparations. What happened? God, God, what God does is God, in 2 Chronicles chapter 16, for it says, God looks to and fro throughout the earth for a heart. See, God doesn't look just for a, a geographical place. God looks for a heart. God's looking to and fro throughout the world for what? Hearts. And so God was looking to and fro, and all of a sudden, he found something in the hearts of these two people. And what he found, he said, I can take it, because what I found was a heart for a city. He didn't necessarily look for liberty, but what he found was liberty in these two. He found, he looks for your hearts. What's in your hearts? What's in your hearts? What do you have a heart for other than yourself? Do you have anything in your heart for something or someone other than yourself? We all have the susceptibility to be a little stingy at times, to be a little about self. And, and, and there's a balance in this. There's some things you need, you need to have an importance of your life and taking care of your life. And also, I'm not saying that we, you know, need to be nihilist about some things. But, but, we, but there's got to be something in us that's greater than us. We'll never experience fulfillment in our life if we don't connect our heart to something that's greater than us. So David said... It was in my heart to build this for God. And then he goes on to talk about, because here's the thing, I build this for God, and what? I'm not just, what I'm doing is building this for God. Why? So that the subsequent generations will have a connection to God. Oh my gosh, what are we doing? To build something here for God that subsequent generations will be able to encounter, have audacious endeavors with, that connects them with God. It's mind-blowing. I think sometimes we think too narrow. I think sometimes we think too short. I think sometimes we think too small. We think too small. What can God do? If you allow God with your life, what can God do? If we, we read about all these encounters of these, these people in the Bible like David and Solomon and we could go on and on. Isaiah, Ezekiel, and everything. Even in the New Testament, it said that they were men like we are. But what did they do? They allowed their heart to be captivated by a God who set a dream. Of what I call put a dream in their heart. Put a dream in their heart. God wants to put a dream in your heart. But you have to open up. You have to make room for it. Because a lot of times what happens is we put all this other stuff in our lives. And there's no where God says, I got this dream. I want to put this dream in you. I want to put, put this dream in you. But, but there's no room. What are we doing to make room for God to release something in our lives? You know, like I said, I've walked with the Lord for 
40 some year plus years. And just recently, God's really been dealing with me about my, my, about my prayer life and being led by the Spirit of God. Because you know what? We, we can journey through this life doing God, doing this Christianity thing, doing the, and all of a sudden find ourselves with, there's really no room. Not in the place, in the depth and the measure that God wants to have in our lives. The profoundness that God wants to speak to our lives. The amazing things that God wants to reveal to us in our lives. To show us great and mighty things that we know not. To help us understand things. See, we'll either do one of two things. We'll either, either walk through life reacting to things or we're going to respond. And, and, and so much of our culture is, is reactionary. Even in Christianity, it's reactionary. It's reactionary. It's reactionary. Rather than responding of the Spirit of God. You ever wonder why when Jesus, when you read through the Gospels, you see they came or Jesus was confronted or asked certain questions, and it's like either he didn't respond or, he, or, or his response was like, Jesus, didn't you get the question? Remember, they, they said, hey, Jesus, we've got some Greeks, Greeks out here. they got some questions for you. And Jesus started talking about a whole different subject. Why was it? Because they were trying to get him to react. And he wouldn't react. Why? He said, I do and I say what I hear my father give me. How much of it do, do we do that? I do and say what I've heard the Spirit of God say to me. So God's, God's been kind of really after me lately about just listening to that voice. Because I can be reactionary. I can be good at it. I can get real good at it. But the results of that is usually not, the outcome of that is usually not real profitable. Amen? My wife was doing something the other week, and, and, and I was, I don't know what I was doing on something. I was out in the garage working, I remember that, and she came out and said something, and man, I re reacted to her, and she went in the house crying. I'm like, oh. So I drop everything, I go in the house. Man, I'm so sorry. I shouldn't have said that. I just, I just, I was being stupid, being a man. I shouldn't have said that, I'm sorry. And thank God she's willing to forgive me. How many times do we do stuff like that with God? God puts us in an opportunity and we react rather than respond. Selah. Think about that one. Completely off my message. But I'm on message. Because you see, in the days that we are living in, we need to be engaging in things that have eternal purposes. See, David went on and he built the temple for God, not for himself but so that there would be a lineage that there would be a lineage of the divine purpose of God that there would be a fruit born from that lineage and that fruit is Jesus Christ because Jesus and the natural side of his came out of the lineage of David. Think about that. What David did, those, those 
centuries before, created a provision for the prophetic purpose of God to happen on the earth. I was sharing with a couple after the first service. I said, we don't know when we engage our lives in endeavors. We don't know. We may never see the outcome of it, but it was what God called us to do. Hebrews chapter 11 said there were those who saw off in the distance the great work, the great, the great outcomes of what would happen. And they knew that they would never get to experience it, never get to touch it. But yet they were willing to sacrifice their lives for it. What are we willing to sacrifice our lives for? What are we willing to give ourselves to? What are we willing to let our hearts get captivated with? Put that, that scripture up there from Proverbs 31. Or, yeah, Proverbs 31. Um, you all know, you know, Proverbs 31 is always, you know, the, the virtuous woman and all these things. And it's about... You know, we use it a lot to teach about, you know, women of God and all these things. But, but think, about, think about this possibly. Think about this. Think about Proverbs 31 in the concept of the bride of Christ. I like the Passion. This is from the Passion Translation. And the Passion Translation uh, calls Proverbs 31 the radiant bride. So think about this as, as, as a, and, and for those of you that just, you know, maybe new to all this and everything, the bride, the, the, throughout the Bible, um, it, it talks about us, our relationship to Christ. It's like Christ is the husband and we're the bride, and there's this covenant union that we have with him. And so that's, that's where this kind of this concept is. And, and, and look at this. Look at, look at what it says here. She, think about this as us, we, the church. She sets her heart upon a nation, or she sets her heart upon a land or a city or a region and takes it as her own. What have we taken as our own? What have we taken? Have we, have we like, God, I'm, I've, we feel a responsibility for liberty. We're taking liberty as our own. This is our city. This is our region. We're taking it as our own and carries it within her. See, you're not just in liberty. Liberty should be in you or this, wherever your subsequent community. It should be in you. Because if you're just in liberty, then you will live from the place of what's in it for me. But if liberty is in you, then that's the place where you will say, what's in me for liberty? I was pastoring a church up in, in Harlan, Iowa. Anybody ever heard of Harlan, Iowa? Oh my gosh, three, four people, five people. Last service, one person. So I was surprised at that. And so I'm pastoring this church and I began to realize some of these things. These are where I began to really learn some of these things. And, and, and so I began to teach the, the church that we're here for the city. The city isn't here for us. We're here for the city. And so we, we need to have the city in here. And so we started doing things in the city. We started investing in the community. We, built, we helped build this huge playground for the city in one of the parks. And, and we got involved, I mean, we got involved in everything from Meals on Wheels to, you know, uh, I was doing ministry in the county jail. I was a chaplain for the county jail. If I forget, remind me to come back to investing in the community because I'm about to tell a story. And sometimes I get off on these stories. And I'm like Jack Hayford, I don't have Alzheimer's, but sometimes I forget. I'll just, it's a side note, it's a cool story. So I, I, get, I get called in to come minister to this young gal that had been busted for cocaine. So she's in the jail and she wanted to talk to a preacher. So I went in and, and um, you know, started ministering to her. She, come, she gave her life to Jesus. This is over a few week period of time. 
she was going to be in the, in, the, in the jail for about six or eight months until she was transferred. So I would go in every couple of weeks and minister to her and talk with her, and we'd read the Bible and things like that. And, and so I, I went in um, one week, and she come bouncing in what they call the day room. She come bouncing in there. She goes, Pastor Mike, Pastor Mike, Pastor Mike, you aren't going to believe what happened. She goes, I've been in here for X amount of weeks. I've been in a cell by myself. And she said, last night they put another a lady or a gal in the cell with me. And this is how our conversation, I can't remember her name, so I'm going to use fictitious names. Uh, she, she, so this guy comes, she goes, what's your name? She goes, my name is Jane Smith. What's your name? My name's Mary Smith. What was your dad's name? My dad's name was Bob Smith. What was your dad's name? Bob Smith. So here what ha- here's what happened. These two gals were half-sisters and did not even know the other one existed. They both got busted for cocaine. Both were contracted um, to this county jail from other bigger cities, put in the same cell. And in and, and the weeks previous, I kept telling her, I said, God will do something in your life, even in here, just to show you that he knows where you're at and what's going on. God will do something. I said, you watch. God's going to do something in here. And so she comes in telling me, this. so they find, here are these two half-sisters, didn't even know the others existed, both got busted for cocaine, both brought to this little remote town, put in the same jail, put in the same cell, to find out they were sisters. I don't know about you, but if that isn't amazing, I don't know what is. And it just blew her mind. And she said, you kept telling me God was going to do something. You kept telling me God was going to do something. And so in her new, crude relationship, she goes, can you give my, my sister Jesus like you gave him to me? And I said, sure. So I met with the sister. Sister was a little rougher. Sister didn't really want too much to do with Jesus. But we planted a seed. See, that's what I'm saying. Sometimes God will do some things. And God's way, and, 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 and you don't even know how he's using you. And you don't even know what he's, he's setting up for you. When you engage in, in these audacious endeavors. And so we're in this community and we're doing these things. And guess what? We weren't the biggest church in town, but we became the most influential church in town. Now the city started coming to us and said, would you help us? Would you be involved in this? Because one, we know you're faithful. One, we know you have a heart for us. Oh my gosh, to get to the point where the city's coming and say, we know, we know, stop and think about that, Pastor John. When the city comes and says, most of the time it's like, oh, we don't want anything to do with church and state, you know, all this stuff. The, the city comes and says, we know you have it. And they literally use these words. We know you have a heart for this city. This blows your mind. Now, I, I'm saying this, and... and and I, I have a presupposition. I'm going to say anyway, does liberty know you have a heart for them? Does your neighbors know you have a heart for them? Or do your neighbors know? Not good English. Do you know your neighbors? Do your neighbors know you have a heart for them? Do your coworkers know you have a heart for them? What's in your hearts? Because, my friends, there are audacious endeavors that God has set up for you and I to engage in. But there has to be things in our hearts before we really step into them. Um, Aaron, whoever, worship, you come back up.
Anymore, I don't talk long, because here's what I've learned. Blessed are the short-winded, for they shall be invited back. I want, to, I want to close with this statement. I want you to think about this statement. A father without a dream will raise children without a destiny. A father without a dream will raise sons and daughters without a destiny. See, with David, before he had two he had many sons, but two of the primary sons that we see in the Bible is Absalom and Solomon. And you all remember, remember the story of Absalom? He tried to usurp the kingdom and tried to draw everybody to him and take over the kingship and all of that stuff. And didn't turn out so well, did it? He ended up hanging from a tree and dying. The Bible says he hung from the tree from his hair, and his hair was his pride. That's what Absalom was known for, his long, beautiful locks. And he took much pride in them. And so what he took much pride in ended up becoming his demise. But the thing about Absalom was, is David, David wasn't yet a dreamer with Absalom. And so Absalom died. He didn't have a destiny. He, didn't, he wasn't able to fulfill a destiny. But something happened with David between those two sons. Because the time the, by the time Solomon comes along, David had become a dreamer. And because David was a dreamer, his son had a destiny. Let that sink in. Because David was a dreamer, there was a succession of the purposes of God. See, one day Pastor Sean will be 65 years old with a gray beard, and short memory. I said in the last service, he'll, he'll be better looking than me and probably a little bit more agile or spunky. Phillips boys are always spunky. But see, this cannot die with them. And I know them. They have generations in their hearts. They really do. And because they have generations in their hearts, their sons and their daughters will have a destiny. Their spiritual sons and daughters will have a destiny. There will be succession in this house. Journey Church will be around for a long time. And it will be known. And it will be known for the great endeavors, the audacious endeavors that they have engaged in and transformed this community. I know that. I'm convinced of that. I wouldn't be here if I didn't believe that. I wouldn't be here if I didn't believe in these two. So I get, I get calls periodically. And I, and I tell them, I said, if this isn't about relationship, if this isn't about a long-term relationship, I'm not your guy. If you're looking for somebody that just, you know, can do some perfunctory, pragmatic, you know, consulting, whatever you want. There. I said, there's a myriad of them out there. You can, I'll even give you their names. Go contact them. But if this is about relationship, then I'm interested. Why? Because I believe in succession. I believe about building relationships and things that have eternal purposes. See, there's, there's things, there's, there's purposes of why you're here that are, are eternal. They're eternal. They're not temporal. They're eternal. You're here for eternal purposes.
God, I pray that today is transformative. Some things, God, that we need to remove, get out of our lives, and much as we've tried to hang on to them, they've. Sometimes it's even good things, God. It's not bad things. Sometimes it's just good things, but it's, it, 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 they're not timely things. They're not time. They're not things for the season. Just as I had to cut that tree down and grind the stump out, it made way. For something to be allowed to be planted and seeded for another generation, for another purpose, for an eternal purpose, for a purpose that is for the generations, a purpose that was for more than just me, but but God, I want others to sit under the shade of that. I want to invest my life. I want to spend my life so that others will have shade. I want to invest my life so, so that, that there will be shade for liberty, that there will be shade for Journey Church, that there will be shade for Pastor Sean and Becca, that there will be shade for Pastor Aaron and Sarah, that there will be shade Thank you, Lord. Thank you that you place this in my heart as many times as it's, it's not comfortable and many times it's sacrificial, but thank you, Lord, that you've placed it there. You've placed it there and you've called me to this. And I thank you for what you've placed in the hearts of the people of this church and what you've called them to in this, these audacious endeavors for the days and the times. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.